Good day and God bless all of you, wherever you are and however you're accessing today's program. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of From Here to Eternity, a program dedicated to searching the Gospels for the wisdom of God as we go along our journey toward eternal life. In this week's Gospel, the fifth week of Lent, we heard the story of the, of the raising of Lazarus. And in that story, Jesus tells us, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. The question we might ask ourselves is, do we believe Jesus when he tells us this? Because that belief, that faith in Jesus' promise that we will never die is what gives us the strength and the courage to endure whatever may come our way in this life. So let's talk about death and what is at stake. I think as humans we tend to fear death because it is the great unknown. We simply are not sure what awaits us on the other side and that uncertainty makes us anxious. If we want the faith necessary to face death with courage, with the strength needed to endure even martyrdom, should it be asked of us, it ultimately comes down to being confident in what lies beyond. The truth is, heaven is a wonderful place. It is our home. This is not our home. This is a bridge to our home. We don't build our house on a bridge. We go to our house at the end of the bridge. The, everything we were made for reaches its fulfillment in heaven. We receive the gift of glory, which enables us to see God face to face and to comprehend all the mysteries of the universe. Heaven is not earthly life perfected. It is not like the absence of aggravation and frustration. No more stupid people telling us what to do or cutting us off in traffic. It is not about sensual pleasures and delights, 72 virgins or an endless banquet of our favorite foods. And it is not about wealth and possessions, streets made of gold and mansions in the sky. These are our puny little visions of what paradise would be like. And in actuality, they point more to our disordered attachments to the things of this world than to the peace, the joy, the contentment that await us in heaven. Although the essence of heaven is the beatific vision, the immediate contemplation of God in all His glory, but there are additional joys. We will be reunited with all those we love and all those who have gone before us and all the angels in heaven. And we will love them deeper than anything we have ever experienced in this life. Because we know in this life, we love them imperfectly. In heaven, we will be able to move at the speed of thought. Though we will have physical bodies, we will be able to pass through solid objects. We know this from the apostles' experience of Jesus risen 
body, his glorified body. He was with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and in an instant, he was with Peter in Jerusalem. They were behind a locked door when he entered into their presence, and yet Thomas was able to stick his finger into the wounds of Christ. We will be part of the new heavens and the new earth. All creation will experience the same glorified state that we will. If we marvel at the beauty of a magnificent sunset or a snow-kept mountain in our world, think how much more breathtaking it will be in a glorified world. When we speak of heaven as being a land of eternal rest, we are not talking about inactivity, lounging about on the clouds. Work gives life dignity, and there is work to be done in the new heavens and the new earth as well. But that work no longer comes with hardship, trials, frustrations, and exhaustion. In addition, the delights of heaven never end, and that increases our joy. Here we know that joy never lasts. It is all passing and temporary. But it is not the case in heaven. Everything is eternal everlasting, unending. And should we have to suffer a time in purgatory, we will welcome that opportunity because we know that the next step is heaven. So let's talk about purgatory for a moment. The church's belief in purgatory is not one shared by most other Christians. They say it has no basis in scripture. And it is true that you will not find the word purgatory in the Bible. The existence of purgatory presumes that God can and does forgive the guilt of mortal sin, but still permit the consequence of that sin and its punishment. God has forgiven our sin. That's why we're not in hell. But He has not removed the reparation due for that sin, and we are in purgatory to make that reparation. So where can we find this in Scripture? In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child that is born to you shall die. God forgave the guilt of David's mortal sin, but he still required David to suffer some punishment for that sin. The second thing that the existence of purgatory presumes is that there is a distinction between mortal sin and venial sin. Where can we find this in the scriptures? Well, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 16, it says, There is sin which is mortal. I do not say that one is to pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin which is not mortal. So apparently, we can die with sin that is not mortal, that is not deadly to our souls. What happens should we die in a state of venial sin? Well, the souls of those who die in a perfect state of grace, without the least unforgiven sin or punishment due for forgiven sin, go directly to heaven. 
The souls of those who die in the state of unrepented mortal sin, deathly sin, go directly to hell. But those who die in a state of grace, but with venial sin or unpaid punishment due to forgiven mortal sin, clearly do not merit hell, but they are not pure enough to enter into heaven, where Revelation tells us nothing unclean shall enter. Where do they go? Where we call this place purgatory. Purgatory is a temporary state of purification for the imperfect saints. The souls of the just who have died in a state of grace, but with venial sin or with reparation due for forgiven mortal sin, are fully cleansed in purgatory so that they may enter heaven. Although the souls in purgatory suffer much, they have peace and joy because they know the next stop is heaven. The chief suffering is that they yearn to be with God, but they cannot as of yet enter into His presence. When we die in a state of grace, but in need of further purification, we immediately realize we cannot enter heaven in this state, and we willingly, dare I say joyfully, go to purgatory. We are grateful for God's mercy and accept willingly the necessary purification. Finally, let's talk briefly about hell. But let's make quick work of it because I say the hell with hell. The big party is not in hell. No matter what Billy Joel sang when I was in high school about, he'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. Hell is a place of ultimate selfishness, loneliness, isolation, emptiness, despair. We do not want to go there. We want to be where complete joy and perfection reside. Heaven is permanent and perfect union with God. Hell is permanent and horrific separation from God. Before the general resurrection, only the soul suffers in hell. After the resurrection, the body will be reunited with the soul and will share in its misery. The greatest suffering in hell is the loss and the full knowledge of that loss of the ability to know and love God for all of eternity. We might ask, how could a merciful God send people to hell? It is because God respects our free will. If we freely choose to reject God by mortal sin and persist in rejecting Him, and all His mercy and grace until death? What is God supposed to do? Drag us, kicking and screaming, and defiantly disobedient into heaven? God doesn't send anyone to hell. A person freely sends himself by setting his will against God's. At death, this setting of the will becomes permanent. Those who have permanently turned against God get what they desire, permanent separation from God. God allows us to suffer the results of rejecting Him, but He certainly does not will it or cause it. You and I may not live to experience Christ's return and the end of the world as we know it, but in our death, 
we will experience our own end. And since we do not know when our end will come, we must always be ready. Life may be completely normal, and then the fatal accident or the heart attack occurs. We must never let the ordinariness of life lull us into believing that the end will not come for us before we eat our next meal. The last things, death, judgment, heaven, hell, and purgatory are not trivial things like sports, television, and politics. They are the things of eternity. Everything on this earth is passing away. The only thing that is lasting is the kingdom of God. We cannot let live our life in idle distraction without putting our eternal life at stake. Souls are perishing each and every day. And should persecution and martyrdom be the future for God's people once again in the West, many are unprepared and will likely fail the test and perish as well. God is calling us in this time of moral and spiritual decay to stand firmly on the rock and fearlessly proclaim His truth. Because it is the truth that changes hearts and minds. It is the truth, even in the face of martyrdom, that saves souls. It is the truth that will set us free. Pray for those you know who are atheists, agnostics, or who have fallen away from the faith. Don't be reluctant to speak the truth into their lives whenever the opportunity presents itself. You never know when your witness might ignite the ember that is burning deep in their soul and alter the course of their life for all of eternity. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you created us to know and to be known by you, to love and to be loved by you, to serve and to be served by you. We stand before you today sinful and sorrowful, but overjoyed at your mercy and forgiveness. We stand before you with our fears and our doubts, but confidence in, confident in your faithfulness and dependability. Thank you for the faith you give us so confidently. Thank you for the hope you give us so generously. Thank you for the love you give us so unconditionally. Help us to enter into a more intimate relationship with you that we may begin to hear your voice more clearly. Help us to embrace our pain and suffering in this life as the conduit of your grace that they are meant to be. We ask all of this in the name of your Son, our Lord and Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. I'd like to thank all of you out there who suffer, who share a commitment to the goal of finding the way from here to eternity and leading others on the journey. It is my hope that God will continue to rain down His blessings on you and your family, and it is my prayer that He grant you, us all the mercy and forgiveness we so frequently need as we stumble along the way. Be sure to join us for the next presentation of From Here to Eternity. Until then, glorify God by your life.